Well, once again, welcome to Grace and uh, good morning. For those of you who do not know, my name is Michael. For the Fremont campus, I am our middle school pastor. And then for Tiffin and Fremont, uh, because we combined for this ministry, I am our young adult pastor as well. And so very quickly, just going to throw a plug for that real quick. Uh, if you are between the ages 18 to 30, maybe you go to Tiffin, maybe you go to Heidelberg. Uh, if that describes you, we would love for you to be a part of Young Adult. We meet here every night, or sorry, every Sunday night at 7.15, and we have worship. Blaine or Tim leads us in that. Uh, we get into God's Word, just like we do on Sunday mornings. And also, in addition to that, we hang out afterwards and have some food. And the only thing better than food is food you didn't pay for, right? <laughs> so see you there. <laughs> Tonight, 7.15. And for me, the past week has kind of been just getting back to the norm. Uh, I was able to go on uh, our Thailand trip that you guys probably know. We sent eight of us to go see our two orphanages in Thailand that we, you know, you guys support. And I uh, just had some pictures there I want to show real quick. As here, you got Stan, uh, one of the members that went, just kind of hang out with some kids. But this is in between the two orphanages on the right. I believe that's DS4. And then on the left, a little further down is DS3. And the next picture, you get kind of a better shot of that. This is where this, the, the students stay. This is where they live. Uh, you know, this is where they sleep. And so uh, kind of get a good idea of that. This is a picture of some of the guys. You got Opaset in the Spider-Man shirt and uh, some of the other ones. But when they go to school, when they go out to eat, this is how they travel. Okay, they don't necessarily get in, um, like, uh, they have multiple trucks that they mount these canopies onto and there's benches on the side. And it's pretty impressive. They can squeeze like 20 kids in there, okay? It's, uh, it's pretty cool to see. But anyway, the next few pictures are just kind of some random ones of the trip. Here we have Clay, another one of the members that went and uh, just kind of with. Here we have Scott, the human jungle gym for the week. <laughs> and Clay, again, with Grace. And Grace is one of the daughters to the house parents, uh, Sake and Nui. Here we have Kayla Siebenaller, one of the members that went as well, who attends Tiffin. I don't know if she's in here or not. She was here first hour, but okay. Um, here we have Pastor Kevin on the water with Chai. Next picture, we have Patty Wookie, another one of the members that also went. She attends Fremont. And uh, Kayla uh, destroying some kids in checkers. And they may be orphans, but they're not winning, okay? Um, here we have Scott and Jill, as they had, they, they've been to Thailand before. But they just got married in January, and so when we went there this trip, before church started on a Sunday morning, uh, the, the staff and students kind of threw a surprise post-wedding wedding ceremony, so it was kind of cool to see that. They were able to celebrate with them. And this last picture is us eating with the staff, and again, these are the house parents that are with the students. They take them to school. They make food for them. They're the ones, you know, discipling them. Um, you know, they're on the front lines with these students that are essentially an extension of our Grace staff. And so could not be more thankful for them. But the entire trip, for me personally, was, was great. I have never been out of the country before, never, never left the United States. So there's a little bit of a culture shock there, just seeing how the other side of the world lives. But probably one of the coolest things that I was able to experience uh, was even though I've never met these people, these students, uh, these house parents, uh, the, the staff at the orphanages, I've never met them. I can't even understand them for the most part. They're speaking a different language. 
But there exists this commonality between us. And what we have in common, what unifies us, is our faith in Jesus. It's not, um, actually this is exactly what Pastor Zach talked about last week, that as believers we live in unity. And what brings us together, what unifies, is not our common interests, is not our, our race, our language, where we live, where we call home. But what unifies us is that every single person in the church that is a believer has been chosen and called by God, that they've been taken from death to life, that they have been gifted by the Holy Spirit, called to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel, and then they've been called to live not by themselves but in unity. And that's what we all have in common. And so for me, being with these students and, 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 and staff members, they're, they're singing um, you know, worship songs, and they're, and they're worshiping God in sermon and teaching. I have no idea what they're saying for the most part, but I know that I'm going to be spending eternity with them in heaven. And for me, that was one of the coolest things to just have God, you know, make me realize. And because of that unity, in light of that, that is where Paul picks up in verse 17, which is exactly where we're going to start. So if you have your Bibles, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17, he says, therefore, and Zach has probably mentioned this plenty of times before, but when Paul says, therefore, he's referring back to something he just said. So in light of all that, we're walking in a manner worthy of the gospel. We're walking in unity. Therefore, I say this and testify in the Lord, you should no longer live as the Gentiles live in the futility of their thoughts. They're darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them and because of the hardness of their hearts. They became callous, gave themselves over to promiscuity for the practice of every kind of impurity with a desire for more and more. Paul is telling the church, telling the believers, do not be like the Gentiles. And when he's saying Gentiles, he's not referring to necessarily um, like physical Gentiles. He's saying spiritually, do not be like the unbelievers. Do not live like you don't know Jesus. Don't live like non-Christians. Don't be like them. And he describes their thinking and their lives with a few phrases that we just read that I kind of want to unpack for a second. The first thing he talks about, he says that they are futile in their thoughts. Verse 17 says they are futile in their thoughts. Futility, that word means empty or vain or void of truth. And if you'll notice, Paul doesn't start with their actions. He's not saying, yeah, don't live like the the non-Christians, because they party way too much. Like, they're just bad people. Uh, they lie, they steal. Don't be like them. He starts with their mind. He starts with how they think, how they process the world, how they view the world. And their life, their behavior, that follows. And Paul teaches us something very quickly, that without a proper and correct understanding of God, we can't have a correct understanding of the world that our minds are always going to lead us to futility, to the non-truth that is only found, or the truth is only found in God, but our minds are only going to lead us to meaninglessness. He says, not only that, but they are darkened in their understanding. And this word darkened doesn't just mean like fuzzy or blurry. It means sightless. It means blind. So that an unbeliever is blind to the truth of God even when it's right in front of them. Uh, I first saw this photo 
We're going to put it up on the screen in just a second. I first saw this photo when I was in high school. All right, how many of you have seen this before? Okay, maybe about half of us, a little less. Uh, if you've never seen this before, there are two women that you are able to see in this photo. Okay, there is a younger woman and there is an older, or younger woman and an older woman. All right, how many of you, just a quick poll, how many of you can see both? All right, how many of you can only see one of them? Yeah, how many of you are frustrated that you can only see one of them? And you think I'm lying right now. Okay, yeah. I was right where you are now yesterday. I had this pulled up on my computer, sitting at my desk, and I knew there was two, but for the life of me, I could not see the younger woman. Okay, I, I saw the old one. I saw her big nose, but uh, I, I, I couldn't see the younger woman. And so I was even clicking on different, like, Google preferred photos, you know what I mean, to kind of get different shades, different colors of it. And... Uh, this has nothing to do with my message, but I'll tell you anyway. Um, I, I, I clicked on one of the photos, and the title, the, the link said, the age of the viewer determines the, the woman you see. And so I was like, all right, it's kind of interesting. It says if you're 18 to 30, you see the younger woman first. And if you're over 30, you see the older woman first. And so I got mad. I got offended. I'm like, this thing's calling me old. I'm like, this is dumb. Okay. But... After five minutes of me just staring at my screen, I was finally able to see it. And if you can't see it, maybe ask your neighbor, because uh, it's a little tricky. You know, I, I spent a long time on it. Anyway, just like the truth for this photo, I see a lot of you guys are still trying to figure it out. This photo, there are two women to be seen, but the truth is right in front of you. But for some of us, we still cannot see it. It's the same way with non-believers, with people who are not Christians. Paul is saying, hey, they are darkened in their understanding that the truth is right in front of them. They are presented with the gospel, with the truth of God, but they just don't get it. They are blind to it. They are sightless. And he goes on to say that is because the hardness of their hearts, that they are unresponsive to truth, unable to feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit. They became callous or the, the Greek word, it's also numb. So callous, numb, like you can't feel. It's describing, you know, like nerve endings that don't alert the person of pain. That if you are not trusting in Jesus, that even your life, what you choose to do, the sin in your life, you don't understand the state that you're in and you don't understand the damage it's causing you. You're callous, you're numb. It says they have given themselves over to promiscuity with a desire for more and more. That they have given themselves. They're defining their life and their actions by sin, harmful, destructive things. And not only that, but there's a desire for more and more and more, which is never going to satisfy. And all of that is found in the wrong things, their desires. And their mind, that's where Paul starts, their mind is bent away from God. And so their actions follow. And so apart from God, our natural thinking, our understanding, our mind, the Bible tells us that it's futile. It is not going to get us to the desired result because we are we're our own ultimate authority. The Bible says that our thoughts lead to futility and meaninglessness. And so I, I don't want us to read this and go, yeah, they do sound like bad people. Paul's right in saying not to be like them. This passage is describing someone 
who Ephesians 2 says is dead. Dead in their sin, dead in their trespasses. And the person that we just described, at one point in my life, that was me. This person that Paul is describing, at some point, was some of you before you came to know Jesus. And for some of us in this room today, it's describing us right now. Because the Bible is offensive to everyone, you know, we are not enough. We need God to help us understand not only who he is, but understand the world. Have the correct uh, perception of ourselves, of God, of this life, of eternity, of everything. And so this verse is describing at one point me. I was futile. I was darkened in my understanding because of the hardness of my heart. I was calloused. I had given myself over to promiscuity with a desire for more and more. At one point, if, you, if you're a Christian in here, you were aimless. You were sightless. You were excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that was in you and the hardness of your heart. You were numb. You had given yourselves over and you were greedy to do more and more. That was you. That was me. But God doesn't stop there. And thankfully, Paul doesn't either. Verse 20. He said, but that is not how you came to know Christ. That's not you. That's the old you. That's who you were before Jesus. That doesn't have to be you now. That doesn't have to be you in the future. Paul is saying, hey, do not be like the unbelievers. Your life should bear no resemblance to the person I just described. You're different. You have a different hope. You have a different trajectory. You have a different intention with your life. You're different. If we continue reading, assuming, he said, but that is not how you came to know Christ. Assuming you heard about him and were taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. To take off your former way of life, the old self that is corrupted by deceitful desires, to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, the one created according to God's likeness and righteousness and purity of the truth. So Paul, he's saying, all right, do not... Be like the unbelievers. Don't live like them. Don't think like them. But a couple things are happening when you trust in Jesus, when you become a Christian. You need to put off or lay aside your old self. And he's saying, put on your new self. And he has this imagery because it's kind of weird. It's like, okay, Paul, what do you mean by that? Um, You know, he has this imagery, illustration of changing your clothes, okay? I'm sure at one point all of us have probably maybe been doing yard work or just been outside all day, been dirty, sweaty, and uh, you've wanted to change your clothes. You're tired of them. You got, maybe you've been, again, mowing the lawn, um, just doing something outside, got grass all over you, maybe you got gasoline smell. You want to change your clothes. And so Paul is saying, hey, just like you would change your clothes because they're dirty, they're old, you don't need them. He's saying, take off your old self just like you would take off your clothes to put on a new set of clothes. But instead of clothes, he's saying, hey, your old self and your new self, same concept here. And so what does that mean? What does that look like? Paul, when he's referring to the old self, that is the person that you were before Jesus because they're different. If you are someone in this room today who who has not trusted in Jesus, then you think and your life is different than someone who is a believer. The Bible makes that very clear. And so your old self is the bundle of attitudes, 
practices, emotions that defined your life before Jesus. That's no longer you. Paul says you don't think that way, you don't behave that way, you don't act that way. And he's not saying, hey, just stop sinning. Just stop, uh, you know, drinking on the weekends. Stop sleeping through church. Stop uh, being bitter to everyone. No, he's saying lay aside. That's no longer you. You have found better life in Christ, in Jesus. And so not just lay aside or put off, but you also need to put on the new self. And so if the old self was you before Jesus, the new self is you after Jesus. It's the attitudes, the practices, the emotions that mark you as a new person in Jesus. And Paul is saying we need to embrace this identity, that God makes us new. He does this awesome work, and our behavior should reflect that reality. God created us to be a new person, to be righteous and holy, so we be righteous and holy. And Paul even goes on to give some examples of this, of how we can practically live this out in our lives. And uh, we're going to read verses 25 through 32, but each command, he gives us five of them. Five ways that walking out of here today, we can go, all right, I can apply this to my life. I can stop doing these, and I can start doing these. And each one has something not to do, something that we should do, and then he gives us a reason to follow through with it. So 25 to 32, it says, therefore, referring back to put off, put on, therefore, putting away lying, speak the truth. Each one to his neighbor, because we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. And don't give the devil an opportunity. Let the thief no longer steal. Instead, he is to do honest work with his own hands, so that he has something to share with anyone in need. No foul language should come from your mouth, but only what is good for building up someone in need so that it gives grace to those who hear. And don't grieve, the holy, don't grieve God's Holy Spirit. You were sealed by him for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, anger, wrath, shouting, slander be removed from you along with all malice. And instead be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as God also forgave you in Christ. So if you caught that, five things. Five things he told us to stop doing. He said, all right, we should no longer be lying. We should no longer uh, have anger in our lives. We should no longer be stealing. We need to watch our language, and we need to not have unforgiveness in our lives. Five things to stop doing. And then once we put those off, we need to put on something else, five things. Instead of lying, we live in truthfulness, and we also have limited anger. We have generosity, we are encouraging, and we have forgiveness. Those five things that all of us, myself included, I know if we kind of gauge our own life, we can work on these areas. And and, and you may go, okay, well, I'm fine with stealing, I really don't lie that much, you know, but all of us, in some way, shape, or form, can improve in all of these areas. And so let's talk about them. First one, it says, We're not to lie, but we need to be truthful. And the reason is that because we are members of one team, we are all members of one another. Okay, I think most people would agree in Christianity, outside of Christianity, 
that lying is wrong. You know, you shouldn't lie, okay? But any form of deceiving someone else is wrong. Is Bible calls it sin. Even those, you know what I mean, like half truths, half lies that we often tell, they really don't hurt anyone, but they just kind of make things easier. You know what I mean? Okay, let's, let's say um, I have to be to work at 9 o'clock. And when I get to work, not at 9, I show up at 9.20. And Pastor Kevin is there waiting for me. He's saying, all right, you're 20 minutes late. Uh, Mike, what happened? And I go, uh, you, would not, uh, you would not believe the traffic. It is something, you know. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's why. Uh, and let's just say he bought it, okay? He goes, all right, just don't be late again. There'd be a couple things wrong with, with what I did. One, uh, I live pretty close to the church. I don't even drive to work. I walk. So there's problem number one. Problem number two is that I am deceiving him, or at least an attempt, to get him to believe that the reason I was late was the traffic. But I didn't really say anything wrong. I mean, the traffic could be crazy for all I know, you know. But it's still that half-truth, half-lie that I've done in the past and we've, you know, we often kind of have in our language that just doesn't need to be there. I remember... Uh, during the summer, I did a wedding for two of my friends, Mike and Dahlia, and during the reception, one of their friends or family members came up to me and said, hey, love the service, you did a great job. I said, thank you, it means a lot, appreciate it. And she said, I feel like God is wanting me to tell you something. And she began to tell me about her faith and her religion, and I, I don't remember, I can't put a name on it, but she was talking a lot about Mary and um, you know, how she is kind of the key to salvation. And, and according to the Bible, she was wrong. And so I challenged her on it. I said, you know, the Bible makes it pretty clear that it's not about Mary or even me, what we can do. It's about being saved by grace through faith in Jesus. And that's it. And she really didn't agree with me. And so we talked a little bit. But at the end of the conversation, you know, I, I feel like I did what I was supposed to. I was honoring God, sharing my faith. But then at the end, she, she gave me this booklet. And she said, hey, will you read this and check out the website? It had a bunch of information, like dates of like events that they have. And she goes, will you check this out and read this booklet? I mean, it was like 40 pages long. I knew good and well I wasn't going to read the booklet, right? But what did I say? Yeah, I'll go ahead and read the booklet. Why did I lie? No idea, because I was trying to do the nice thing. But it was sin. I did all that work to, you know, do the right thing and share with her the news about Jesus but in the end, I, you know, serviced it with a lie. Those things that only help us, that we deceive others, has no place in the life of a Christian. That we need to live in truth and not lie. And the reason is that we are hurting ourselves when we lie. If we lie to another believer, we're on the same team. We're only bringing ourselves down. The truth of the gospel is what unifies us, and so we need to live in that. That's number one. Number two, we need to not be angry and not sin in our anger, but instead we need to have limited anger. And so in itself, anger is not a sin. Paul kind of paints that picture to where we're able to understand if we're angry, two things should happen. One, we should be angry for the right reasons. A good reason to be maybe temporarily angry is because of our sin or injustice in the world, or things that we see that clearly are not honoring to God. A wrong reason to be sinfully upset is 
being mad that the Browns missed the playoff for the 17th straight season, right? That would not be a good reason to be upset. And he's saying if you are upset, even for the right reasons, the second thing that needs to happen is that you should make that anger short-lived, that you should not be, you know, day after day just kind of dwelling, lingering in this anger. You need to control it and not let it control you because we don't want to give the devil any more room to work than he already has because anger is an emotion that needs to be short-lived and it needs to be given to God as quickly as possible. So that's number two. Number three, we need to put off stealing and we need to put on being generous, working hard to give to others. And again, stealing seems like one of those It's like, okay, duh, stealing is wrong. I know that. But not only stealing possessions, but again, you know, something that's easy for all of us to do, I'm sure, is maybe even stealing money or stealing time, which in essence you're stealing money from your job, from your work. Okay, I'm sure this is true for anyone who has a smartphone, that it's incredibly easy for 5, 10, 15 minutes to go by when you're you know, answering a text or you're, you know, on Snapchat or Instagram or YouTube. Is anybody else with me? It's easy to pass just a few minutes not working at your job. But in reality, that's not what they, it's not what they pay me to do. <laughs> it's not what we are given money to do. We need to constantly be giving all that we can. Every minute that we are on the clock and in, working, any minute that we're not, that we're distracted, that we're stealing time, the Bible tells us that we really need to, you know, clean that up because it, it adds up and we're stealing, we're taking away from not only ourselves, but our company, our coworkers, our employers, everything. And so instead of stealing, Paul says, work hard. Work hard, gain what you can, earn money, but not so that you can retire happy. Not so that you can retire early and so that the end of your life is comfortable. Work hard, earn as much money as you can so that you can give it away, so you can support others, so that you can meet needs. I have seen this firsthand with Tiffin, with Northwood, with Fremont, all of our campuses. Uh, we, in January, we just had Kalahari Retreat, and for, for my job, it's by far the most time-consuming, um, just effort, resources, everything. And it was a great year. Uh, God definitely worked. But for you guys specifically, I was able to see generosity that I haven't seen before. And it was incredibly just honestly refreshing to see a lot of you go, you know what, Uh, Mike, Luke, AJ, here's $140. Uh, I don't have a specific student in mind, but I want to give this money so that a student can go. I want to sponsor them. And some of you guys even sponsored multiple students. And I was blown away because you get that you don't want to earn money just so you can keep it or so that you can take the the family to Space Mountain. You want to give it away. And that's what Paul is saying, that we want to work as hard as we can with our own hands, earn money, but to meet needs, to love others, to support. That's number three. Number four, he says we need to work on our language. And instead, we need to encourage. And so again, this is one of those things that, honestly, looking at this list of five things, in my mind, this is the one that could change not only our day-to-day lives, 
but our minute-to-minute lives, how we interact with others in everything we say. Like, imagine if this were to actually happen. If we actually said, you know what, I'm not going to speak anything that doesn't benefit me or someone else for the cause of Jesus. Uh, imagine if we no longer, um, you know, laughed or told just crude jokes that don't need to be said. We didn't make fun of people. We didn't gossip. We didn't curse. But instead, the only things that came out of our mouth were productive and encouraging. And it built people up. And not even in a fake way. I'm not saying you need to go around to every single person and say, hey, you're great. Good job. I'm saying that everything we say should be ran through this verse that should be filtered and go, okay, does it need to be said? Am I helping this person grow closer to God? Am I helping this person, um, you know, be built up? Or am I tearing them down? All right, I just told that joke, but it didn't offend anyone. No one got angry, but it really didn't help anything. And that's, this is tough for me because often sarcasm and joking can be my second language, all right? I, I enjoy, especially being and working on staff, everyone that I work with, I truly enjoy working with them, and partially because we're able to keep things lighthearted, you can joke about stuff, but when I kind of gauge how I speak, I can compare it to this verse and go, okay, does that need to be said? Is what's coming out of my mouth beneficial to anyone else? Matthew 15, 11 says, Jesus tells us, what comes out of the mouth comes out of the heart. And so if you are speaking like Paul's warning us not to, then we need to filter what we're letting in. And again, the solution is not to, hey, just stop cursing. I'm not going to stop talking so poorly. But we need to really gauge what we are letting into our minds and our lives. That's number four. Number five, we need to really watch and remove unforgiveness and instead forgive. And this probably, if we're honest, is the toughest one out of the five to do because it's not a great feeling to go and tell someone, hey, I messed up. Can you forgive me? I'm sorry. I wasn't acting how God wanted me to. Um, Will you forgive me? And it's not even great to go and ask someone like, hey, can we talk about how you, you know, I, I really didn't appreciate how you spoke I didn't like how you handled that. I kind of took offense to that. How can we move on? Like that is, they're awkward conversations. But Paul is saying that no, nobody has wronged us more than we have wronged God. And if he can forgive us, then we can certainly find reason to forgive others. And that's the ultimate motivation. So if we're in this room today and we are holding bitterness, hatred towards someone else, which if we're just being honest, probably by far the majority of us have at least one person in our lives that we know that we haven't fully forgiven or at least expressed that forgiveness. We know there's someone in our lives that we need to go to and say, hey, will you forgive me? Or hey, can we talk about this? How can we move forward and honor God? He said, let go of it. Let go of it. Do not let that linger. Solve it quickly. Don't waste time because our life is too short for that to remain in our lives. So five things not to do. He said don't lie, don't have anger, don't steal, 
Watch your language and, and, and do not have unforgiveness in your life. And five things to do. He says you should uh, be truthful. You should, um, what was number two? <laughs> have limited anger in your life. Number three, you should be generous. Number four, we should be encouraging. And we should have, number five, forgiveness in our lives. Five things Paul is saying you can apply today and make sure we're doing. But as I was studying and honestly struggling with this passage, um, I was even telling AJ this on Friday, my biggest fear with this message is that all of us will walk out of this room and we'll leave here going, all right, what was Michael's main point? Uh, oh yeah, fix those five things in our life. You know, change our behavior, great. That's, I'm, I'm gonna try to do that. Paul's saying we should be lining up with those traits, but that is not the main p- point and solution of what Paul is trying to get at. Because Christianity in itself is not about cleaning yourself up. It's not about um, becoming a more moral person. It's not about, yeah, I've been trying to be better. Hopefully I can make it to heaven. That is not it. You see that in other religions. You work to receive. You work to earn. Whether that's you know, rewards or God's favor. But that is not what the Bible says. God isn't pushing this agenda of self-help. He's offering a new self. And so to make sure we see that, I want us to go back and see what Paul says. I don't know if you caught it, but in between him saying, hey, we need to put off the old self and put on the new self, there was the key statement that he, that he referred to, and I want to make sure we, we understand it. He says in verse 22, to take off your former way of life, the old self that is corrupted by deceitful desires, and here's where it is, to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self, the one created according to God's likeness in righteousness and purity of the truth. Did you catch that? The middle key connection piece of putting off and putting on. He's saying the old self, gone. The new self, you need to have that, put it on, live that out. But the key to doing that is renewing your mind. You might be going, okay, what the heck does it mean to renew your mind? All right. When Paul is referring to that, he understands that all of us have this idea of, okay, who we are. We know who we are. And we also have this idea of who we want to be. There's things in our life that we want to fix. There's things in our life that we want to improve on and get rid of and replace. And some of us, probably all of us, can't seem to get there. It's like, all right, you know what? I, I, I'm still running to the wrong things for satisfaction. I'm still running to alcohol. I'm still clicking on those sites that I know I shouldn't be on. I'm still running to, to just worrying about my life instead of trusting God. But when we want to change, Paul knows that change begins with the mind. That's why that's the first thing he mentioned with the unbeliever. It's the mind. And with Christianity, we think about it before we experience it. That's why, again, with the purpose statement, it's discover truth, decide on Jesus, and then you demonstrate change and deploy for others. That it begins with us acknowledging and considering the gospel. And then when a person places their trust in Jesus, then Bible tells us that God gives us a completely new moral and spiritual capability that 
the most intelligent and educated person apart from Jesus, they could never reach. That because we have a correct view of God, we have a correct view of everything else. And this renewing of your mind is not just a one-time accomplishment, but it's a continual process throughout our life as we obey God, as we obey his will, his word, and we seek him. And so simply to renew our minds, here's what it means, to focus on God's truth. We renew our minds by focusing on God's truth. And so we fill our minds as much as we can with his truth, his power, his promises. And so obviously the the biggest way we can do that is the Bible. He's given us this book to read every day. This is him speaking to us about eternal truths that we need to be bringing into our lives. And not just read it and then go, okay, that was a nice verse or a nice chapter I'll read again tomorrow. He's saying we need to, the Bible says meditate, we need to think about what we read and pray about it and say, all right, God, I I just read about, okay, I shouldn't be lying, I need to be truthful, what can I do in my life to make that happen? Thinking about scenarios and ways that we can honor God with this truth. Not only the Bible, but we can pray. That that is how we access, not only communicate, but how we access God, his peace, his power, his wisdom that he wants to give us That's through prayer. And you can also, to renew your minds, to focus on God's truth, you can do what you're doing right now. Coming to church, hearing messages from Pastor Zach, AJ, and Kevin, and and everybody, and hearing his word taught, but also singing songs that have God's truth in them. You can hear godly people in your life speak into your life and go, okay, you know, I want to go to another believer that is following Jesus and, and is seeking his wisdom, what do they have to say? Any way that we are able to fix our eyes on Jesus by bringing his truth into our mind, into our life, it will begin to renew your mind. Let's say you have an hour of free time. I could watch Netflix, or I could read, I could pray, I could watch a sermon on you, whatever it is, any way that we can fix our eyes on Jesus, that is what we want to do. And again, a lot of us in this room are, are, are struggling, questioning, okay, I want to change, I do, but it's just not happening. I'm still running to the wrong things to satisfy me, to, to, you know, to bring me contentment. And the Bible tells us it's not necessarily just because we're doing the wrong things, but it's because we have the wrong mindset, that we are believing that those things will bring us more pleasure than Jesus. And that's not true. The goal is not, again, I cannot say this enough, the goal is not to change your behavior. The goal is to wrap your mind and your heart around the truth and the belief that Jesus is greater. And once we realize that, once we truly believe, yeah, Jesus is better than than seeking money. Jesus is better than being prideful and not forgiving someone. Once we realize that Jesus is better, then our behavior is going to reflect that. Then we're going to run to those things. And when it comes to living the life that God wants us to live, the answer is not, so hear me, I'm not saying, hey, stop sinning and be a better person. What God is saying is that the answer is to find and surrender to a reality and a truth that is greater than anything else. And Jesus 
is that truth that transforms us. And so my challenge this morning, as we wrap up, is have you experienced that change? Have you trusted in Jesus? Have you acknowledged your sin, placed your faith in Jesus, and chosen to follow him? And have you experienced this change of you are a new person? You don't just do different things for the sake of being better, but God has made you new. And so because of your new identity, that changes the way you live, that changes how you think, that changes how you spend your money, that changes how you treat your husband or wife, that changes everything. Have you experienced that? It's not trying to live a moral life. It's God saying, here's who you were. Here's what Jesus has done for you. And now here's who you are. And when you think about that rightly, you're going to live obediently and live a holy life. And that is only possible because it is a result of a relationship with Jesus. And so if you haven't made that decision, if you're in this room, maybe you're not there, you're just like, yeah, I just don't know about it yet. Or you know for sure that, man, I have not made this decision. Then we want nothing more for you than to make that decision today. Don't wait to follow Jesus, give your life to him. And he doesn't want you to just receive something new. He wants you to become someone new. And that's the best decision you can make. So again, after the service, you can find me, Pastor Zach, Pastor AJ, anyone on staff. Um, We would love to talk to you about that. And again, if you're in this room and you have made that decision, if you're a believer, then continue to embrace what God has done for you Seek him above all else and let him continue to change you from the inside out. Remembering that any of us can change what we do, but only Jesus can change who we are. Let's go ahead and pray as we, uh, as we wrap up. God, I want to thank you for allowing us to be in your word this morning. God, you have shown your love. You've died for us. And God, it's not by me being a a good person that I'm able to have confidence that I'm going to heaven, that I have a relationship with you. It is only by your son, Jesus, dying on the cross for our sins. And I pray that we would understand that, that we would embrace it. And that is the only avenue in which change happens. It's by trusting in you. It's by you working inside of us to produce not only a better person, but a new person, God. And I pray that if there's anyone in here today that has not made that commitment to follow you, that they would. That they would get rid of just anything holding them back, but they would give their lives to you. And God, we again, just thank you for this opportunity to be here this morning. And we thank you for um, service. And God, I pray that we would honor you in our lives. In your name, amen.